Take your Bibles, open up to Malachi. We're in the book of Malachi. And uh, Malachi is kind of a, a negative book in the sense that it's a course correction book. It's a attempt on God's part to turn people... And when they didn't turn, it ushered in the era of what we call the 400 years of silence. And, and there was no prophetic voice, again, in Scripture till a guy the name of John the Baptist showed up. And you would recognize that name and know who that dude is, all right? And so it, it's very instructive for us to look at what God was talking about and what, what had grabbed his attention and why he was concerned. Today, uh, the weight's off of you because he's talking about the Levitical, Levitical priests. So he's talking about pastors, right? And he's talking, by the way, John, your dad says hi. <laughs> and uh, and he, so he's talking about pastors and he's talking about uh, what they were doing wrong. So you can sit back, breathe easy this morning and go, Whew, okay, you guys come next week. <laughs> All right? But we're going to look at this this morning because I think it, it speaks to the era that we're in as well. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. We're going to come to communion uh, at the end of this together this week. So uh, let's prepare ourselves that way. Father, we know that we shouldn't just waltz into communion with a nonchalant attitude. We know we should examine ourselves. We should be thinking, measuring our heart, our motives, our thoughts that we shouldn't uh, come in carelessly. And you're talking about people who got pretty careless. In this particular case, you're talking about the Levitical priest who you uh, had a lot of displeasure with in terms of how they treated you. And Lord, that rocks me to my boots because I'm in that role. And so this morning as we look at this, uh, would you help... Uh, with the illustrations, would you help with the meaning of it, with your spirit? Again, we ask that you would join us. You are the most honored and welcome guest. We sang songs. Heaven, come down this morning. Lord, we're talking about you're right here and manifest yourself. And we pray that our hearts would resonate with that. And we give this to you this morning. Uh, we know it's corrective teaching. And so may we take it as such. And where it applies, may we apply it. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, Malachi, let's just do a, a brief <clears throat> review. The title of the series here is that uh, when the lights went out. We're talking about when God finally says, okay, I'm done. I'm done talking. You can have what you want. And we know, of course, according to Romans 1, what does it say? You can have what you want and what you, God lets you have what you want and then what you want destroys you, right? And that's what's going, going on here. So, um, so the priest, just to do a review from last week so we can get back on track our thinking. I know you've had a lot going on during the week. The priests were the guardians of the offerings. They were the guardian of the temple. Originally the tabernacle, then the temple. They were the guardians. They were the ones who were the caretakers. They were responsible that these were carried out uh, in sequence and in the order that God had wanted them to be carried out in. So they had a very significant role. The offerings were always meant to represent the first and the best. That is what it's meant when you give an offering to God, is you always give the first and the best. That's true for me, that's true for you. That's always what an offering means. An offering does not make sense if you give the last or the worst, right? Just, I mean, that's just common sense. 
You give the first and the best. Thirdly, they here's where they got in trouble. They were keeping for themselves what was supposed to be God's. Right? And this this kind of can be universally applied to all of us. When and, and we'll go to the fourth point right away because it ties to it. Uh, they were cheating. Okay? They were cheating. They were cutting corners. They looked at God and said, Yeah, you're worthy, but you know what? I'd like some of that. You don't need all of it. What do you need it for? You've got a cattle on a thousand hills. I'll just keep some of it for me and I'll cut a few corners. Nobody will notice and it'll all be fine. Well, it wasn't fine. It wasn't okay. They were holding things that were supposed to be God's and they were keeping it for themselves. And God shows His, disple- His, His displeasure with it. So let's go into Malachi chapter 2 then. And we're going to look at what God says. So here's the beginning of Malachi chapter 2. And the Lord says this, Now, and now, you priests, this warning is for you. That's specific, right? There's the target. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the priests. Uh, for us today, it would be the pastors. Okay? This warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. This issue of uh, resolve. Resolve, uh, you can see up on the screen, means firmness of mind to carry out a set purpose or goal. We resolve to do this. It's, uh, if you're in a townhouse meeting or a government meeting, it's the resolution, right? This is our resolution. It's the same word, same root word. We resolve. This is what we uh, commit to. God is simply asking them, if you look at the passage, uh, He's simply asking them for what should have been given. He's not asking for more. He's not asking extra. He's asking, look, I'm just asking for the bare amount I set out, the minimum that will help this whole thing roll the way it's supposed to. So can we, can we get back to that? That was their role. That was their calling. That was their purpose. They were supposed to be the people who modeled that for the rest of the people. And, and I think God uses a great, great word here. This word resolve. Right? Uh, other words for it would be steadfastness, perseverance, endurance, all those cousin word names that go with that. Um, but he uses the word resolve here. What does he mean? It means you need to turn this around. You need to resolve to look at what's wrong and do an about face, flip a 180 and go in the right direction. And you need to set your heart on doing that to worship me because you're off track. So you need to, you need to line it up. He says you're going to need firmness of purpose. You're going to need to set your mind firmly. Have you ever had to do that? You ever had to do something that you know you're supposed to do and you really didn't want to do it and you had to really lock in your mind to do it? Like losing weight, right? Get on a budget. Right, come on, we know these things, right? In case you're, if that was so high and spiritual you couldn't figure it out, I thought I'd help you with it. Right? What God's saying is, hey, you can't just waffle on this deal. You can't, it just can't be good intentions. I'm not looking for good intentions. I'm looking for obedience. I'm looking for people who will set their heart on doing what I've asked them to do. In effect, what God's also saying is, He's saying, 
take a look around you. He was saying this to the priest. Look at your situation. Look at what's already falling apart. Look at how low you've dropped. Look at how much trouble you're in. Right? He's saying, check it out. It's not like you're actually being blessed right now and you're not being blessed right now because you haven't really followed through with what I've asked you to do. Again, he's talking to the pastors, not you guys. So, right? You're off the hook. And this is an incredible warning. So the question would is this. Why couldn't they see it? Right? Is God speaking today? Right? Of course God is speaking today. Why can't people see it? The reason pe- people can't see it, the reason is, uh, it's what I call an optical delusion. Right? That's a Mitch term there. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is Scripture warns us over and over and over again about sin's capacity to deceive us. It talks about um, how it blinds us. Right? Paul says the gospel, those who don't respond to the gospel, they're being blinded by the gospel, blinded from the gospel. It just sin has an incredible capacity to blind us to the true reality of things as they are. They thought they were winning by cheating God. What you know, really, if you think about it, we only do what we think is true in our mind. Right? If I'm cheating or if I'm lying or if I'm doing something, why would I do that? Because I really believe that's true. And I'm going to act it out. Not that the lie is true, but that where, I'm, where I've got to get to is true. And God won't let me get there, so I've got to do something deceptive so I can get where I believe truth is. Because I'm going to carry that out. Whatever I think is real, whatever I think is accurate, whatever I think reality is, I'm going to head towards that. And my actions are going to play that out. And they, they were losing and they couldn't even discern this. You know, I, I can remember this. I remember when I was in rebellion against God uh, yesterday. No, a long time ago. Hopefully not yesterday. But I remember when I was in full-blown rebellion. And I remember, man, uh, you know, I was, you've heard my story. I don't want to go over details again. But I, I remember thinking, man, I'm so cool. I'm so hip. Really smart. Getting away with it. Never going to get caught. Right? I'm just kicking this thing. I'm rocking reality. Right? And in my mind, I was just planning up. Look at this. I'm just going to smoke and conquer the world. I'm just going to come out at the end winning. I'm just got it going. Right? In the meantime, everybody else is watching me and they're watching me go, right? And crashing. And I couldn't even tell. Couldn't even tell. Till Jesus jumped into my life and jumped into my face. And, and I remember sitting with a friend and I was arguing against Christ and I was arguing why I would not become a Christian. I was arguing why I would not give my life to God. And one of the arguments was because I would lose so much that, well, if I, if I gave my life to Christ, I, I, would, I would lose this and, and I'd lose this and I'd lose that. And my friend looked at me in one of those really kind of just prescient, clear moments and said something that just blew me up. And he just looked at me and said, Mitch, what do you got to lose? You don't have anything. And I went, and the blinders came off my eyes. I went, oh my gosh, he's right. I'm absolutely bankrupt. I'm bankrupt financially. I'm bankrupt emotionally. I'm bankrupt spiritually. I'm bankrupt relationally. I really don't have anything. What am I fighting this so hard for? 
And it was a moment that really flipped me because I was actually able to see the fact that I was bankrupt. This is what God's trying to do for these priests. He's trying to tell them, you don't have anything. You're throwing it out the window. You're supposed to be my representatives. You're supposed to be the pastors of the people. And you just can't see it. All of this uh, is hearkening. By the way, God's not talking in a vacuum here. He's he's calling out to them and he's taking them back to Deuteronomy. They know what he's talking about. They know the truth. They know the Bible. They know the word. At that time, it was the first five books of the Bible. But they knew it well. They knew what God was saying. And so he's... He's, he goes to Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy calls it. Okay? Uh, in sports, calling it means that you, you're, you're gonna, you say what's going to happen before the play happens. Right? So they're going to they're gonna score a touchdown on this player. Or they're going to score a goal on this player. Uh, they're going to hit a home run on this player. Right? And in and, uh, and, and Deuteronomy, God calls it before it happens. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. Let me show you. We'll just do a brief survey. It's really profound. It's worth reading through. It's a long chapter. But um, let's just take a quick look in Deuteronomy together. So this is the passage where God lays out for them when you go into the promised land. I'm going to set up two things for you. I'm going to set up how you can be blessed and I'm going to set up how you can be cursed. If you do these things, you are going to prosper. If you do these things, you are going to get wiped out. If you do these things, you're going to be the head and the top. If you do these things, you're going to be the tail and the bottom. And in Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, God says this. He says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you bathe the Lord your God. And if you read that list in Deuteronomy 28, if you're just gazing through it right now, it's an incredible list. Health in the womb, health with your finance. I mean, he just goes on and on about the things that he will bless them with. But he also says this later in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 28:15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees, that I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And if you read through that list, if you're right now looking at verse 15, just go down the list and start looking at the things that he says there. And you start going, whoa! That's, that's pretty significant. That's pretty intentional. That's like, that's not going to go well. And so God was laying that out. Not only did God speak that to them, but He knew they'd need a picture, right? We're, we're visual people. He knew just, they were just like us, and He knew they needed a visual, right? And so God gave them a visual. When they came into the promised land, this is uh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. All right, now, there's a town there today. You can see the town uh, that's the best picture Margaret and I could find of it. So just take the houses out in your mind. And think of Israel when they came into the promised land. There were no houses there to, at all. And God wanted them to remember the promises and curses that he laid out for them in the book of Deuteronomy. And so on Mount uh, Gerizim, 
Mount Gerizim is, let's see, that would be to your left. That's Mount Gerizim. That's Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim was to be the mountain that they would proclaim the blessings from. And so on that mountain, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin were on that mountain. On Mount Ebal, on the other side, was the curses. And you had Reuben and Gad and Asher and Zebulun and Dan and Naphtali. And what they were to do is to call out the blessings and the curses back and forth to each other. Now think about this. We knew there were a lot of people, right? Some guesstimates say as many as three million came into the promised land. Think of that entire hillside occupied and think of all the leaders of those tribes up on that hillside and think of them calling out in the loudest voices they could in unison. And the Lord God says, if we do this, we will be blessed. And all the people said, amen. And if we do this, we will be blessed. And all the people said, amen. And if we do this, we will prosper. And all the people said, amen. And then from the other side, they were calling out and said, but if we forget, if we forget, if we walk away, if we forget what God said, if we, we don't pay attention to it, then God says, then we will be cursed like this. And all the people said, Amen. And then this will be stripped away from us. And all the people said, Amen. And then this will be taken from us. And all the people said, Amen. And we will not be the head. We will be the bottom. And all the people said, Amen. That was seared into their uh, collective memory as a nation. Right? But we've gone a long, long way historically from the book of Deuteronomy and from Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. They saw those mountains every day. They walked by them every day. Just like, for example, you drive by and you see a cross probably every day. No matter where you drive around here, you'll see a cross somewhere. Eh, it's a cross. Done, been there, done that. I got things to do today. I don't have time to give God my attention. That's what they were feeling. It had been a couple, close to 1,500 years. That's a long time. So it went from that present historical setting which God clearly makes his assessment of the situation known. And again, note, he's not talking about you. He's talking about the Levitical priest. So today it's on the pastor's shoulders, right? So again, you're off the hook. That's good. Look at Malachi. He continues. It doesn't get much better. He says, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. Okay, now this is where it gets serious. This is not just about, there's personal ramifications. There are always personal ramifications to sin. Bible says the wages of sin is death. That in the end, what you get paid is death. You get wiped out. You lose everything. You have nothing to show for it. And God says, not only is it going to be personal, but it's going to affect your family lines all the way down the tracks. He says, I, I will rebuke your descendants. And listen to this. This is, this is literally a new way to take in your face. All right? I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. 
I gave them to him, and this called for reverence, and he revered me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. Why is this such a dire warning? Well, God says he will spread the dung of the sacrifices on their faces. For you city folk, right? The English translation for the Hebrew word dung means poop. And several other colorful synonyms that I won't mention this morning. Okay? But as I mentioned, when you shovel it all day, it's not a bad word. Okay? And he said, I'm going to take the offal, I'm going to take the dung, I'm going to take the poop. In other words, the intestines and stuff that came from the sacrifices, I cut it open, rip it out, I'm going to scrub that on your face. I'm going to mash it. Right? Can you just sense what that would feel like? The smell you'd have, like driving through the Snohomish Valley, right? Kind of thing. That's a pretty clear object lesson, right? Not too hard to get what God's saying. God is literally saying, I'm going to smear your faces with cow manure, goat manure, sheep manure would also be included, and I'm going to carry you out. I'm going to carry you out just like the dung, like the poop is carried out for the sacrifice, and I'm going to dump you outside the city. Just like you do the refuse of your sacrifices. He's saying, that's what I think of you and your service to me. Now, trust me, when I got to this point in the week, I just closed the book, walked away from said, okay, I don't want to think about that anymore. Because I'm thinking about my role, I'm thinking about standing before God, I'm thinking about holiness, I'm thinking... Ouch! Wow! That's intense. What does God think of my service to Him? Right? I've been chasing that all week this week. Do I stand as Levi to Him? He says, my, God said, my covenant's going to continue, but not with you. Right? And it's the priest He's talking to. The priest that leave the Levitical priesthood. He says, unless you turn. There's always that unless you turn. Okay? We have kind of a, a deterministic fatalism in our culture that just says, whatever is, is going to be, and that's the way it is. You can't make any difference. And I just want to say this morning, yes, you can. You can decide this morning to turn. You can do the 180. You know what? I've been going the wrong way, and I'm going to turn. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how scared I am. I'm going to flip the 180, and I'm going to head towards God. And that's what God held this up for. He was hoping to shock them to such a degree they'd realize how off they were and they would turn and come back to Him. What was missing? Well, what was missing is reverence and awe. They weren't impressed anymore. They were bored with God. He wasn't, uh, didn't have enough special effects. Right? Right? If you know the Old Testament, specifically the first five books, then you know that Levi was a pretty significant figure. But you also know, if you've read those books, he wasn't perfect. Right? He, he did some things that were, were pretty wrong. And in this particular account here that you see on screen, he's really idealizing Levi. And what God's saying to them, compared to you guys, Levi is a saint. And if you're wondering the things that Levi did wrong, just go back in the book of Genesis and look up Levi and just see. But he's saying, 
Compared to you guys, he was a saint. And he held me in reverence and awe, and he taught people truly. And the, the point that God was making here, he said, Levi taught truth. What was he getting after? They were twisting it. How do we know this? Well, look at the next verses. Here's the accusation from God. For the lips of the priest, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. That's what you do every Sunday when you come. You are hoping that I say something that targets your personal experience uh, that you had either in the last couple months or this week or yesterday or something you're wrestling with and you're hoping that I give true instruction from the Word of God and that that will connect with you and you'll walk out going, I heard from God today. Right? That's why we come. Think of the load on that. You need to pray for me more. All right? But you have turned away from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So let's think here. What was the twist, right? If something's twisting, what was the actual twist? Instead of life and peace, reverence and awe that they were supposed to build in people, they were actually leading people away from God and towards sin, not away from it. What had the Levites said? It's not worth serving the Lord. The special world we have isn't so special. We don't like being special. We want to be like the other people and, and we want to party too and we want to do this stuff and they launched into that and so they caused the whole nation to stumble and fall. They got calloused. They got critical. They got crooked. And they got political. Okay. You just go, how do you know that? Well, is it any surprise um, of the caricature of the leaders that we find in Jesus' time began here, right? What do, we, what do we have? The Pharisees, the Sadducees? What do we know about them? By the time Jesus showed up, they had taken the entire temple system and they had turned it into a money-making operation for them. That's how they got rich. See, it was supposed to be the tithes of the nation were brought in and they lived off the tithes of the nation and then they did their roles and that kept them humble. They didn't like that. They didn't like humble. And so they decided, we've got to turn this pony and, and turn it into a cash revenue machine. Right? And so they did. And what they did is said, hey, when you bring your sacrifices, um, your animals don't work. You have to use uh, temple-approved animals. And you have to use temple-approved currency. And you have to use temple-approved, you know, that you bring stuff in. And so... They turned it into a money, and that's why Jesus was flipping the tables over and knocking stuff around and throwing them out and chasing the animals out because he was going, look at my, it's supposed to be a house of prayer. Look what you've done to it. Well, where did that start? That started here. It started with these guys, and, and what they had done was instead of serving the Lord, they started cheating them. They started giving uh, animals that weren't perfect. They started giving animals that had sores and and wounds and scratches and cuts and they weren't right animals. And they said, well, we'll give those to God because they're going to get burned up anyways. We'll keep the good stuff for us. And 400 years later, you've got an entire temple system that has become the money-making machine for the priest. And what was Jesus' attitude towards that? 
Not very good, right? So what we saw in Jesus' time, it all began right here. This is where God was trying to stop it, and they didn't listen. They weren't true shepherds of God flocks. The expositor's Bible commentary says, to have an ill-prepared minister, incompetent pastor, or a hireling for a shepherd is bad enough. But worse is to have a deceiver or a schemer or a wolf in sheep's clothing for a leader. And what are they trying to say? To have somebody who is in the pulpit merely to rip you off and to take money and stuff from you so they can personally profit is really evil. That's what God was getting at here. Instead of making God great, they found a way to make themselves great. Okay? Again, we're talking about the pastors, not you guys. You're off the hook. Okay? What did they do? Instead of making God great, they made themselves great. Right? So to the point when Jesus shows up, do they show any deference, any reverence, any awe towards Him? No, they challenge the snot out of Him. Who are you? Give us a sign. We don't buy it. Thanks for playing. Gong. You're out of here. Okay? That's what they said to Jesus. What happens here is it became their bank accounts, not the kingdom of God. God's judgment was swift and just. Here's what He says. I told you this would be a really good message this morning, right? So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of law. Now, obviously, when you're taking the priesthood, there had to be a few good ones in there, right? There were guys who held true. There were guys who stayed loyal. There were guys who held God in awe and reverence. Uh, Zechariah in Jesus' time would have been an illustration of that. But as a whole, they went sideways. And because they went sideways, the nation went sideways. Uh, This, again, is important for me, your pastor. Because also for us today, uh, I think it's important for us as we come to communion. And And we wrestle with the implications of the sea. They were supposed to be dependent on God to meet their needs. God was supposed to be first. They were supposed to represent Him. That means I'm supposed to represent Him well, not just on Sunday mornings, but during the week. And if you come to my house and if I meet you out at Willis Tucker Park or if I meet you over at Azul's or if I meet you walking the trail, wherever it bumps into me, I should be representing Him well. But they felt their own pursuits were more important. God was getting the leftovers. All right? Leftovers in time, leftovers in thought, leftovers in attitude. When we come to communion, I'd like to ask, uh, guys, would you... uh, Oh, we're going to actually come up forward this morning. Sorry. I forgot I wanted to do that. Um, When we come to communion, we're given the same picture, right? What what do we say with the, the body and the blood? Jesus is saying, I will sustain you. I will feed you. I will energize you. I will support you. Really what he's saying is, I will take care of you. I will be your all in all. And the question is, do we trust him to do that today? Hey, this is 2,500 years ago. They didn't. They said no. And we know the history of it. We know the story of it. We know how it rolled down history lines and we know how it played out and we know what it looked like when Jesus showed up. It wasn't good. Do we trust Him to do that day? Or 
do we resort to our own devices as well? Right? I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to depend on God. God's too slow. I'm going to take this into my own hands. Right? can be in anything. It can be uh, finances. could be a spouse. You're a single person this morning saying, you know what? God's too slow. I'll go find him or her. I'll marry them and then God can bless it. You ever see anybody do that? Usually how well does that end up being blessed? Not very good, right? Okay. Communion is about reminding us to keep first things first. And to keep reverence and awe of Him. And if you've come here this morning, the odds are really good. That's why you came. You may not have verbalized it this morning when you were brushing your teeth or combing your hair in the mirror. Uh, but you were saying, I'm, I'm going to come because I love the Lord and I want to honor Him. Hats off to you. You have God's blessing this morning for doing that. And when we come to communion, it's a reminder of who Jesus is and keeping first things first. We're going to keep Jesus in the headlights. Jesus is who we is the target. And other things have to come second to that. Not the other way around where Jesus gets the leftover. Communion is Jesus gets the first and the best. What was God's uh, illustration for us in that? How do we know that? When God came, God saw our problem, saw sin, knew we were in trouble, knew we were dead. When God came down, God, played, God came down on our turf, right? He played by our rules. We call him Jesus. He walked on this planet, played by our rules. Okay? What did we do to him? We killed him. When God came down, did he give us the least, the last, the worst? Or did he give us the best and the first? God gave the best and the first. And that's what communion is a reminder of. As he has given us his absolute best and his absolute first. And he's saying, doesn't it make sense that that would be returned in kind? So we're going to stop for a minute. We're going to have communion this morning. What I want to do is we'll come up. And we know how to do this. You guys come to this row. Go here and back around and come back to your seats, right back, come out, and you guys, right, come down here, go and then back around and come here. But let's go into a season here of just prayer. And let's stop for a minute. The Bible says to examine ourselves. We should do that. That means you stop and think about where you are at. Where's your heart this morning? Is Jesus getting the best in the first, or is he getting the last? Have you resolved your heart, to turn back to Him. Resolve is an important thing. God, you know what? I hear you speaking and I am going to obey. Have you been cheating and cutting corners? Not giving them time. Not spending time in the Word. Yeah, it's okay. I know it all. It'll be good. Or are you giving them the first? Yeah, it's hard to get up in the morning. Too bad. So sad. Get over it. All right? Jesus got up early in the morning and prayed for you. Can't you get up and pray with Him? Let's examine ourselves. All right? So close your eyes. I'll give you a cue when we can start walking up. We'll walk up. We'll all get the bread and the, the juice and we'll hold it. And once we all have it, we'll take communion together. But for one minute... 
I want you to stop and just clear your head, clear the agenda, clear the thing. Stop that. And come to Him and let Him examine you before we come to communion. Father, we are not the many. We're not the powerful. We're not the strong. We're not the handsome or the beautiful this morning. But we are your children. And we've come to honor you. And we recognize that it is easy to lose our resolve to keep first things first. And it is easy for us to take what is yours for ourselves. And it is easy for us to manipulate your kingdom so that we are great instead of you're great. The fantasy of our egos, Lord, knows no limit. And humility is often far from us. As we pause this morning, we want to set resolve to hold you in reverence and awe, to put first things first, to give you the best, not the last. And we recognize in this picture of communion, that's what you did for us. You gave us the best in your Son. And we want to hold that in high honor and esteem. And we ask for your favor this morning as we come and take communion together.